From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. And that's why we call it a food value chain. You know, it's a supply chain, but it's based on the values that you have as far as how the land is treated, how people are treated, what, what kind of nutrition contents in your food, all those things people up and down from the farmer to the consumer have an interest in. And so this system that we're developing is about addressing those values and making sure they happen. This week on the show, an uplifting conversation about organizations and coalitions working together for stronger rural economies and robust local food systems. We talk about micro-lending, food hubs, farm-to-school programs, and more. That's coming right up. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Earth Eats. I'm Kate Young. One of the themes running through our show is about taking an honest look at our food systems and talking with guests about what is problematic, understanding how we got here, and talking about what steps we might take to move things in a different direction. Even when we recognize what needs to happen to move towards more sustainable food production, to correct unfair labor practices, or to address community food insecurity, So often, it feels like nothing changes. Or that change doesn't take place on a large enough scale to make a real difference. That is why I was excited to meet with Katie Nixon and Patty Cantrell about the projects they're involved with in Missouri, enhancing local food systems. I thought our conversation might be inspiring for anyone across the Midwest working towards similar goals. I'm Katie Nixon. I work for West Central Missouri Community Action Agency and New Growth, and I am the Food Systems Director. I'm Patty Cantrell. I'm the Director of Outreach and Development for the New Growth, which is a community development corporation organized by West Central Missouri Community Action Agency. So community action has a long history in the United States. Uh, it was first started over 50 years ago to combat poverty. And ever since then, uh, there's been you know different iterations of community action across the country. Missouri has 19 community action agencies that serve different regions within the state. And West Central serves nine regions in Missouri. And we do a lot of assistance to low-income families. And we also work do community-level work. And a few years ago, the new CEO, Chris Thompson, saw a real need to do work around food systems and increasing food security and market access for our farmers, because most of them are you know, limited resource, low income. And uh, he hired me, and we started a food systems program to really do that in that region. Um, and then we are expanding our work through new growth, which Patty can elaborate on. So that same CEO, in addition to starting a food systems program, uh, launched another nonprofit, uh, an affiliate of West Central, to work with communities and entrepreneurs and build more opportunity in our rural areas. So So we work with the food systems program to support those entrepreneurs. New Growth focuses on micro lending or micro enterprise financing, and they offer tools to help folks build up their credit scores to access traditional lending opportunities. They've developed a rural business center that serves several counties and assists in the development of small businesses in rural communities, including food and farming operations. 
I feel like I've heard about community action agencies because I think we might have that in Indiana as well. Something Absolutely similar. you would. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, community action, again, it was a national program launched under the Nixon administration. And it was actually designed by the same person who designed the Peace Corps. And so it was really designed on let's get money into the hands of communities because communities know how to solve their own problems. And so that's why there's these community services block grants, CSBG we call it, and they're they're really the the grants that make community action run uh, across the country. And like I said, there's 19 in Missouri. I don't know how many there are in Indiana, but I'm sure there's more than a dozen. Um, And they each have their own specific geographic region, which is one of the reasons New Growth was started was because we were bound by that nine-county region. And so New Growth has allowed the work to sort of go beyond the bounds of that CSBG money to to be more broad and to do more work. Yeah, I think that the ones that I've heard of do not necessarily have a food systems focus. There are very few. Many engage in maybe like food pantries and food banking and things like that. There are several progressive community action agencies across the country that see need for like food hubs and work with farmers and then they may work with community gardens. A lot of them engage in like community gardening or you know, maybe food rescue, like gleaning or something like that. This is the most comprehensive food system program that I know of in the Midwest anyways. It's not usual. <laughs> New growth is really about building rural communities and entrepreneurs. So at the community level, we advocate for food systems as part of rural economic development. And we talk about this being a really key part of strong communities and local business and economy development. Yeah, we've worked our small business center with a a few and one example is someone who had an opportunity to sell greens to the Kansas City Food Hub. They needed help just writing a grant and we were able to help them do that and they were getting got some funding to expand and now they're helping to supply schools in Kansas City. So having those boots on the ground through our Women's Business Center and through some of that financing helps people take some of those steps. And we're really trying to work with our partners to you know, understand and address the needs of those small farm businesses, including connecting with our restaurants and things like that. You know, It's a definitely a work in progress, but here in this rural area, instead of waiting for people to bring us supplies, right? Can we, we're gonna have to figure out how to do it ourselves in many ways. There's great opportunity here to fill those gaps in, in products and services and That's what we're after, trying to help people connect and get the resources they need. So Katie, I would like to hear more about the different programs that you said you're doing through the food systems program. Yeah, that's right. The food systems program, that's correct. So when we first started, it was just me and and ideas and uh, the leadership team kind of trying to decide how to enter into this work because you talk about food systems there are so many entry points to work on and obviously the intersection between food security and um, and food systems is a big one for a community action agency because we have a lot of low-income clients over 10,000 people use our services that are low-income and so we did start with some food, food assistance programs and we still do some of those double up food bucks is one that we're a partnership with mid-america regional council is the leader on that and we match dollar for dollar at our rural farmers markets but it's still challenging I mean our rural farmers markets are small they don't necessarily have a farm manager a farm market manager you know and the program is a little bit paperwork heavy so we've really been able to retain some of the bigger markets to do the double up food bucks and they're well utilized because we have a lot of 
people on food stamps, on SNAP, in our rural communities that benefit from being able to double their dollar at a farmer's market. And they're already shopping at the farmer's market, like they're familiar with it? And they're Some going. of them were, and some of them found out about it and then started shopping because they can, you know, double their dollar. And so that means there's more money in the pockets for the farmers and there's more vegetables on the plates of low-income families. So, yeah. And just um, those good, fresh, local vegetables. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we like that program a lot. We also have some partnerships with a, a housing organization. They have low-income families and they just pay us to put together boxes of food for them. We buy from local farmers and and then make the boxes and, and drop them off. So that's, that's nice great. to be able to that's purchase so <laughs> local food. We're working on some farm to food bank initiatives, but um, it's a it's a bit of a slog. You know, in our rural areas, uh, we, we go after a lot of USDA funding, but the matching is really hard. The matching requirements for a lot of these USDA programs is around 25%. And so it has to be non-federal funds. And we don't really have foundations that are bankrolling around here. So <laughs> it's hard to find those non-federal funds sometimes, but we leverage a lot of partnerships to, to make that happen, which means our work tends to be more regional rather than focused in one city or one county. That's why our work fits both in West Central and, and a lot in new growth because we're going across state borders and county borders and really working regionally. And we're working on a really big project right now with six states. We also work with NRCS. We have a conservation agriculture program, and we had a beginning farmer rancher development program through USDA. And through both of those programs, we help beginning farmers, limited resource farmers, and any farmer really who wants access to information and mentorship and help. Because running a farm is, is a lot like running a small business. I mean, you are, as a farmer, I'm a farmer myself, so I know this uh, thoroughly, but as a farmer, you are, um, you know, the, the HR department, you're the uh, tax, you know, the accounting department, you're the business management, you're the marketing department, you're, and then you're the harvest and the packing and the selling and the invoicing, all oh, of that delivery. <laughs> delivery. It's a lot, right? And and you've got regulations to look for, look at and make sure you're in compliance with all of that. And so as an individual farmer who's getting started, it is really overwhelming. And so we want to be here to support them. We have a great mentorship program where we pair beginning farmers with um, farmers that have experience and we pay those experienced farmers for their time to spend nice. with those beginning farmers. Because I think a lot, like farmers learn best from other farmers. They just do. I mean, in any profession when you're talking to somebody who knows your language, you're going to learn and you're going to respect that information more because they've done it. So, um, but we often, as farmers, I think, give away our services because we don't necessarily think they have the value that they, yeah. they should, you know, we should put on them. And so we really want to make our farmers feel valued for the many, many years that yeah. they've learned their craft. And so when we invite farmers to be speakers or we in, um, are, we're doing a video series right now, if we're on their farm, we pay them for their time, uh, make sure that they're valued in that way. That's Katie Nixon and Patty Cantrell with West Central Missouri Community Action Agency and New Growth Community Development Corporation. After a quick break, we'll return to our conversation and learn about how their work is strengthening their local food system and getting fresh local food into schools, food pantries, and restaurants. Stay with us.
Kate Young here. This is Earth Eats, and I'm talking with Katie Nixon and Patty Cantrell. They work with organizations in Missouri focused on strengthening rural economies and local food systems. I told Katie and Patty that I was excited to hear about their program that gets fresh, locally grown food into food assistance programs. So often this high quality fresh food is only available through high-end restaurants, natural food stores, or farmers markets. And those are not the places where low-income folks typically access food. I was also curious about their farm-to-school program. I have a farm-to-school specialist and she works in our nine counties to work with these rural schools because they're not in any distribution. Even the Kansas City Food Hub, which I am also a member and president of, we can't afford to to deliver to an hour away from Kansas City. It's just not logistically feasible. And so can we find a farmer next to that school that only serves 200 kids that could probably, you know, produce enough food for that kitchen to satisfy like the tomato, you know, need or whatever. And so Jacqueline Carroll, our farm to school specialist, she's the one who makes those connections because it's really hard for a farmer to know, like they have so such limited time to find a new market and it's hard to cold call, especially if you're not like, I mean, you're farming out in the middle of nowhere. You chose that profession for a reason. You're not necessarily want to go out there and like just walk into someone's kitchen and say, hey, do you need some food? So we're trying to be that relationship builder. So we also have a a local food promotion program uh, where we have a food value chain uh, coordinator who basically tries to make a lot of those connections too. So through our farm to school and food value chain coordination, we're really trying to do a lot of market matching and um, developing the bridging those relationships that farmers don't have time to make. And I'll say one other thing about the uh, sort of farm to school money and also farm to food bank money. Um, The Biden administration actually put in quite a lot of funding in the American Rescue Plan to improve food systems. And one of the thing, two of the programs that, that were um, developed out of that money was the Local Food Procurement Assistance Program and the Local Food for Schools Program. And they're two different programs. Local Food Purchasing Assistance Program, it, it's actually available to every single state. And I, to my knowledge, hopefully every single state has taken advantage of this because it was an allocation based on the state of money available for pantries and food banks to purchase local food from, and the emphasis was on from underserved farmers. And underserved farmers is a broad definition. It includes beginning farmers, it includes veterans, it includes socially disadvantaged, which is minority farmers, and it also includes limited resource farmers. So in the state of Missouri, we got $6 million. The depart- the state department that applied for it, because that was the only el- eligible entity, was a state department, got $6 million, and it's currently being distributed to different organizations that are then going to be able to purchase from farmers directly and get it to people, low-income families. And so that's $6 million injection into the local food purchasing. That's just, that's one of the programs. The other program is the local food for schools program, which we're also working with the Department of Education on. West Central has played a key and pivotal role in trying to help bridge these connections because we understand food systems and the challenges ahead for these organizations who've never done any of this before. Like they've never purchased like local food from farmers. And so they're kind of like deer in the headlights and we're like, hey, we can help you. <laughs> so, um, and so the local food for schools program is around, I think it's like $2 million. And so uh, we're basically helping them develop an application process for the schools. And then we have a resource list for the schools once they actually get the money to find farmers to buy from. And now it's about helping these farmers get access to that market and making sure that they're not sort of used and abused. <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but like, 
I think sometimes people think, oh, you have food, I'm just going to buy it from you. And here I'm going to inject, you know, I'm going to buy, 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 buy. And then all of a sudden I disappear. Right. Right. And that farmer's kind of left, well, wow, that was a huge client for me. And now they're gone. That's, it's a little problematic. I mean, the money is a little problematic in that way because it's not, it's just a one-off thing, right? It was in the American Rescue Plan. It's, it's not a stable funding item. Um, and if you... <laughs> I mean, these are programs that could be, though. And I yeah. think that's part of the thing is, like, this is like a pilot. I hope they're thinking this way. And who knows, with the different administrations, that's what's frustrating about politics is, like, if a different administration takes over, that program's just gone. And, you know, if you look at the Farm Bill, uh, which it's a Farm Bill reauthorization year, and yeah. this, the Farm Bill affects every single human in the United States, and animal, actually, <laughs> in the United States, and also a lot of our natural ag land and, and, and all of our land in the United States. So those are opportunities to really push our um, Congress to say, hey, you really need to invest in local food systems. You need to invest in our specialty crop industry. Our, our plates, you know, on my plate is supposed to be half vegetable, fruit kind of thing, right? Um, and those are called specialty crops. Right. And like, uh, if you look at all the subsidies that get given out in the United States, half go to, um, or over half go to the uh, grain industry, and like less than 1% goes to the specialty crop industry. So where are we putting our priorities? Mm-hmm. It says it right in the numbers. You know, so, but, and, yeah. and yet we're supposed to be eating all these fruits and vegetables, yeah. which we should, you know, and we should, and everyone should have access to them too. It's not just the wealthy that get to be healthy. It should be everybody. And especially in the Midwest farm country, this could be like a place where we're really producing a lot of those. Sure. Instead of having yeah. to like rely on shipping them across the country or shipping them from other countries like to actually have it it's fresher it's more nutrient rich well, and that's it's, you know all of it exactly and, and supporting the local farm sure. communities the issue with consolidation in our ag industry has become really problematic and you know the national farmers union ha- has campaigns the missouri farmers union is working on it to try to um you know fairness for farmers a farmer nowadays gets about 10 to 12 cents on the dollar of every dollar spent on food. It's between 10 and 12 cents. It used to be 50, you know? And so like that's just become, that margin has become slimmer and slimmer. And part of that is because of aggregation. 85% of the meat industry is controlled and operated by four companies. And so when you have that happening, that's not a democratic capitalist system <laughs> that is a consolidated controlled system and they can you know they can do what they want with pricing and with um, regulation and they have lobbyists in Washington Working every single day and-, <laughs> and you know I'm not saying that like they're the, like the devil or anything like that but they have control and what they do with that control is not up to us they decide what's on our supermarket shelf we don't decide that but small farmers respond to consumer needs they respond to what consumers want and they diversify our food system so all of our eggs are not in one basket (laughs) (laughs) and that points to the larger economy too like new growth is working to support rural entrepreneurship rural communities and that includes our food and um, farm entrepreneurs Evidence of the demand and need for really working with small businesses is is evident, I think, in what we've been able to do just in the past couple years of adding uh, microfinancing to what's available to people. In just starting up our microenterprise operation, we've made in two years about 70 loans, nearly $700,000. 
And now we're, because of that, getting more capital out of the U.S. Small Business Administration. Uh, we are an approved micro lender. So now we have more capital. But um, our partners that we work with that send us clients and things in this rural area, we have our small business uh, development centers. They have one person covering multiple counties, you know, and she said we've really like tripled our production in a way by being able to have microfinancing available to entrepreneurs that wouldn't have gone anywhere with their business plan. Right. You give them a business plan, but if they cannot get a bank loan, they're not going into business. And yeah. so this is a really important need everywhere in urban and rural areas. And taking that as as an important thing to invest in is is something that we're not doing enough of in this country because you can see it in the data that shows the number of startups in the U.S. has just fallen by half, literally, since the 1970s. Startups are the dynamics of our economy, and small businesses are the primary employers and the source of innovation and businesses. And because we have focused so much on the easy wins, mm -hmm. the big established companies or the big food companies, it's easy to throw money at that and think we're getting something, but we're not, we're, we just assume that all that other stuff, all those microorganisms in the soil of our economy are just gonna grow, but we need to cultivate them just like we do in the soil for a farm. That should be a huge policy priority. And again, uh, more than one time economic recovery stuff. Um, even at the state level, we were at the state uh, legislature recently and there's just not a lot for small businesses because I think they think it's just naturally going to go on. But the right. more we ignore it, the, the more of a wasteland our rural communities are becoming. That's Patty Cantrell of New Growth Community Development Corporation, organized by West Central Missouri Community Action Agency. I'm also in conversation with Katie Nixon, who is the Food Systems Director with New Growth and West Central Missouri Community Action. After a break, we'll talk about how the pandemic brought to light the importance of local food systems and perhaps changed policy and funding commitments for these types of programs. Also, stay tuned for the part where Patty and Katie school me on what's problematic about my dream to simply have all the local produce available at every mega grocery store in town. Stay with us. Kate Young here. This is Earth Eats. Let's return to my conversation with Katie Nixon and Patty Cantrell of New Growth Community Development Corporation. Do you think just what we all went through in those early days of the pandemic with shutdowns and food supply chains and stuff really was a bit of a wake-up call for people about our local food systems? Do you feel like there's been a change in that or were you guys already going full on before yeah. that happened? Well, we were going full on. We were going full on in a machine that was cogging away, especially with trying to help farmers scale up into wholesale and um, because there was a huge demand from some of the high-end wholesale people we were working with. And most of those clients were office cafeterias. And so, you know, there was a, quite a lot of office cafeterias in Kansas City that were just loving the product coming out of the Kansas City Food Hub. And overnight, they were all closed. So that was like 80% of the Food Hub's business was gone. So obviously for us, the 2020, 2021, as a farmer, as a Food Hub, as a consumer, was just a roller coaster. Yeah. And we're still trying to recover emotionally from all of that. Because, you know, you get pulled in 10,000 different directions. We're trying to support our farmers 
numbers because mental health and farming is a huge issue, but that's another topic. You know, we have to look at what where we are now to to make sure to readjust. And we are readjusting and the market's kind of recovering and we're kind of seeing where the demand is. But it was absolutely a wake up call for everybody. And I see that as a result, our politicians are stepping up a little bit. They are making this money available. It is a one-off pool and it's competitive. And it means that, you know, a lot of the organizations that didn't get the money are still left behind under resourced organizations that don't have grant writing or, you know, departments or whatever, minority led, often left, you know, aside, still haven't gotten the resources they might need. But there are also organizations getting good support through this sort of surge of interest in creating a better food system. And the USDA did have an open comment period about our food system and the logistics um, going on. And there were over a thousand comments. And out of those comments, um, they were, I know, I know one of the people who read every single one of those comments. And she told me like, you know, they were, they were listened to, they were collated, they were, you know, given as a report. And out of those comments came this opportunity in regional food business centers that um, was recently uh, there was a competitive bid for becoming a regional food business center and we were part of a, an application to do that that came directly out of those co- that comment period from con- from people who are concerned about our local food systems and logistics so I you know that may be one um, good flower that came out that grew out of the the pandemic is like let's have a look at our food system a little more closely here and let's really support developing it because what happens is after trying to run a food hub for seven years, like it is not profitable, like from a capitalist standpoint, because we're not jumping in with a huge loan with venture capitalists and trying to disrupt the system. And like, you know, um, we're, we're building a sustainable cooperative model, which takes time. It takes intention to have the right markets for our farmers, not just any market, the right farmer, the right market, cultivating the right people to be part of that. And we're building slowly. And so we've been able to find the resources we need to do that. And hopefully in, in you know, a few years we can be solvent, but it, it couldn't have been done without you know, extra help because it's, it's based on social sustainability, environmental sustainability, and then you, know, you get to the economic sustainability. Whereas in a lot of these systems, all we're focused on is the economics. People get left behind, environment gets left behind. We don't want we don't want a world like that. That's not what we're trying to build. So <laughs> we do not have a food hub in the, where I live. And I would really love to hear just an explanation of what the Kansas City food hub is, what it's like. I appreciate that question, because I think a lot of times I take for granted that people know what a food hub is. A food hub is different from an aggregator distributor because it is farmer focused and it's typically local food. And there are all different kinds of food hubs. There are any from nonprofit to like a B corporation to actual cooperative, which is what the Kansas City food hub is, which is member owned and member run to just an LLC and everything in between that you could probably think of. So uh, it really is about working with the farmer's supply and finding the correct markets. And then the food hub is typically the logistics sort of person in between you know making the deliveries happen making the orders happen invoicing collecting bills paying farmers all the things that farmers already do but it's like another market outlet i know iowa has like a nice network of food hubs going on up there and they kind of collaborate with each other kansas city does not really we just have the kansas city food hub there are some other smaller sort of aggregation things going on with other farmers there's also good natured family farms which is an alliance of farmers that is in kansas city they were one of the first food hubs really But we are, uh, like I said, farmer-owned and farmer-run. There's about 
30 members, voting members of the Food Hub. We list our products on the website and then like right now the buyers are looking at what's up there what the farmers listed they make an order so they get to order from like they can buy from 20 farmers on one site and get one delivery and one invoice so the problem that it solves is that retail or restaurants i guess but you know stores can purchase local food without having to go directly to a farmer or with maybe a farmer has not as many tomatoes as they might need, but three farmers would have enough tomatoes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So like, let's say, so one of our biggest customers is a school and they want, um, we actually serve 45 schools and this is a new thing. Like this kind of came out of the pandemic as well as like schools are like, we want local food now. (laughs) So the demand kind of went up. And so for example, uh, one school district wanted 400 pounds of lettuce a week in the winter. And there's not many farmers like we're winter growers and I know many of the other farmers in the food hub are winter growers, but they don't necessarily have the capacity to do 400 pounds a week or even 50 pounds a week. So, but five of us together almost got there. Right. And so, and next year we're going to grow even more lettuce because we see the demand and we want to, you know, meet the demand. Um, And so we all pack, you know, our separate boxes or whatever and get them to the food hub and then the food hub delivers. And that school doesn't have the patience or the time. And that is not any condemnation on that school. They don't have the time to work with five different farmers and help those farmers understand the need and the supply. But the food hub does. We have paid staff to do that. And that is where you can build a supply chain, but you have to have the people working in there. You have to have the food value chain coordinator. You have to have the food hub logistics people. You got to have the delivery driver. You got to have the truck. I mean, there's all this infrastructure that is needed. And also, do you, is it is there a location? Like, is it a there's cold storage or you know? Yeah, this there... particular food hub model. We used to be sub hubs where we would just utilize farmers' cold storage and pay the farmer for that cold storage that they already have, which was a great model, but it didn't really work logistically very well. Sounds complicated. COVID (laughs) broke us in that model. Um, And so we actually did get a warehouse um, where they can deliver product before the delivery date. uh, And that works out okay. We would like to still because our membership wants their their infrastructure to be utilized and we would like to utilize it. We just don't know exactly what that could look like. And I wanted to say one other thing about the market that the Food Hub reaches. I mean, we're when the Food Hub started, there was a little pushback, like, oh, you're trying to steal, you know, local foods, you know, market, right? Like when the farmer was like, it's my market, you know, like I have control over my market or whatever. And that that perception was a little misguided because when we did our feasibility study, it showed that there was $125 million in unmet demand for local food. Well, you're not just going to tell that unmet demand to go to the farmer's market or join a CSA. That Those aren't good outlets for the market that we were looking at. Right. This is a new market that is not being tapped into, not being served. And, and you know, farmer's markets are great. I think everyone should go to a farmer's market, but they're not going to. Right. In reality, it's like 9% of the population, if we're lucky, <laughs> that goes to yeah. a farmer's market. And then CSA numbers are even lower. Yeah. And so how does the farmer then expand without having to kill themselves going to another farmer's market and another CSA, you know, like it's, they have to have a balance. And so over the years, my farm personally, we've found a balance of 50-50, 50% wholesale, 50% retail. And that's a pretty good balance also for food hubs to have too, you know, in terms of getting the retail customer and having a wholesale customer. But that middle market, that sort of middle wholesale market is really what we're going after. Um, And it is not one being served right now. Right. And I also just think if you really want to change the food system and make it more locally based, 
it's not going to happen through farmers markets. It's got to be institutions like the school and, you know, I mean, I my dream personally is to have the shelves of, I don't know if you guys have Kroger, but, you know, of the major yeah. grocery stores yeah. mm-hmm. stocked with local foods so that everyone has access to it without having to go to some specialty thing or yeah. know about a, a culture of yeah. local food, all that. Food hubs are kind of an indicator of how this has grown and will continue to grow because the start of the local food movement 20 or 30 years ago was the the rallying cry is cut out the middleman let's go direct and farmers markets grew and so the whole direct to consumer market but it has grown to the point where we do need some middle men and women and the food hub is a new kind of intermediary that takes into account getting proceeds back to the farm versus just, you know, making sure it's a good price back to the farm. So it's a new intermediary for that local and regional food system to serve those, all that new demand, wholesale demand, things like that. And so that kind of infrastructure will grow. And that's part of the step of getting to that point where we can have more of this in, in grocery stores and things like that. Yeah. And I think that direct to consumer model only works for a certain kind of consumer. And I think that's what that's what I am sort of interested in. It's it's expanding to general population. <laughs> you know, everyone can begin to access this and kids in schools and somebody who's going to a food pantry and somebody who's just going to the regular grocery store. But retaining that connection to the farm, that's part of the, the issue is understanding where your food comes from. That's what food hubs do too, is, yes. is keep that identity there because that erasing all that is how we can end up not knowing about what happens with that food and 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 having that value there as part of the process and that's why we call it a food value chain Mm -hmm. you know it's a supply chain but it's based on the values that you have as far as how the land is treated how people are treated what what kind of nutrition contents in your food all those things people up and down from the farmer to the consumer have an interest in and so this system that we're developing is about addressing those values and making sure they happen and that's what food food hubs do in a variety of models there's a different ways they do it right Oh, thank you. That's a really important point. I think you don't want to erase that connection, even if it's not, I'm going up to a farm stand to purchase from a farmer. I still can have a connection to where this food comes from and who's growing it and how they're growing it and how they're treating the land and how they're treating their workers or their animals or all of that. Mm -hmm. It's important that they have connection to the farmer. And that's why we're really, Casey Food Hub's very proud of being farmer owned and farmer run. And that's on our tagline. But even other organizations that might just be an LLC or something, they can also be very good at telling that farmer story and, you know, communicating some of the the issues that go on. There's a funny story about, uh, we work with Casey Healthy Kids, which is a big partner on a lot of things that we do. Um, but they also have some money to buy local food from the food hub and get it to the early childhood education centers that they work with. And they bought a case of eggs from our farm. And on our farm label, we have our phone number and our name actually next to our phone number. And I got a text one day and it was like, what does it mean to get a green chicken egg or green egg? It was just a green egg. I was like, who is this person? (laughs) And like after a few texts, I realized this is a child who has texted me off of the box of eggs that they got at 
school and they didn't understand they'd never seen a green chicken egg before which is laid by an Aracana chicken who just has a green shelled egg right it wasn't green on the inside or anything it just had a green shell because um, there's lots of different chickens lots of different colored eggs and uh, it was just the funniest conversation that I think I've ever had via text and they wanted to like know all this stuff and I was like okay well I gotta go now but you know like that you can definitely eat those eggs <laughs> talk about direct to farm know, right? <laughs> communication that's awesome that's so great I I did want to mention one thing we are working on with KCLD Kids, and that is a grant initiative through the USDA, fairly new. It's called the Regional Food Systems Partnership Program. And KCLD Kids got a planning grant to do a food assessment, a food systems assessment across the region. And they, like, targeted certain counties because we couldn't, we didn't have enough money to do all of the counties. And so one of the counties was St. Clair, which is a county that we have at West Central and New Growth and where we often host our Farm to Fork event, which is our annual uh, Farm to Fork Summit event that we do. But we're working with them to do a food system assessment and then a food system action plan for the region. And the reason that's important, it's not just a report that we want to get done and you know get money for, but it's important to have priorities because like we said at the beginning, where do you start with a broken food system? There are so many entry points, but there are also so many organizations working on different projects. And if we can all figure out some common ground to work on together, we could really make some progress. And so that's where this food system partnership uh, program that is happening, where New Growth is part of it, part of the leadership team, and then we have an advisory committee and we're gonna be uh, finishing, we have finished up our assessment, it's available online on the KC Healthy Kids website, and then we'll be uh, coming up with our action plan and then we'll be going after an implementation grant to really put that action plan into play. When I looked at this, I was just thinking about like our conservation program with Natural Resources Conservation Service. Mm -hmm. Those are funds that we're using to try and reach farmers and educate about new practices. And I think this kind of education and also introduction to the consumer values that they can grow for and market for. That's similar to just general small business resources. There's not enough of that out there and definitely applaud the money that comes through some organizations like that to make that happen. But in general, that's part of the system, having those resources for farmers to even explore opportunities because making a transition or some of our farms may be in the commodity world, but there, a lot of times it's the young generation that wants to try something. And so building up that trial space, right, and the ramping up, it, it does take time. And so those are really important resources. And I just wanted to underline that that's, that's a real need as well and part of what the food systems program is doing. Yeah, and one of our focuses is gonna, in the coming years is really going to be on actually having a technical assistance person, business technical assistance person specifically for agriculture because we feel like the, um, especially in the lending field, like lenders don't understand necessarily what a diversified farm is or what it does or what even the market looks like. And so we're going to be doing a few tiers, uh, educating lenders, hopefully, about like what it means to lend to a small farm and what kind of market access they would have and what that client could look like and how they might reach that client. And then also for that small farmer, like what is available to them in terms of financial resources, business planning and things like that. Because we do have this Women's Business Center. It's great. It's any business that wants to work uh, with a Women's Business Center. But I think when you have a specific person for farming and agriculture it shows them that you value that really highly and that you know they're going to get a spot they're going to get heard they're going to get help they're going to and you know so that's we're excited to have that focus in the coming years 
And to be that resource to lenders and stuff, because the diversified farm has a diversity of business models and markets. And so this person is going to be regionally plugged in and help them evaluate businesses that come to them in terms of what kind of cash flow should you expect? What what do we know about these markets and who's in them and, and that sort of thing? And we want to really partner with these other organizations to get more familiar with and support them in taking steps to support our food and farm entrepreneurs. As we were wrapping up our conversation, I asked if they had any fun stories to tell me about their work. Well, there's a great story that my food value chain coordinator, Christina Joppling, likes to tell. It's one of her big wins as a food value chain coordinator. She um, started working with, or you know, started visiting with and learning about this pecan business in Nevada, Missouri. They grow Missouri native pecans, and they're a delicious little pecan. They're not as big as the, the English pecans, and they have a little bit more sweetness to them. And they have both certified organic and, um, and conventional, and they sell pecans kind of across the country in packaged form. But they're always looking for new clients. And she also happened to do a very hard visit, which was to the Christopher Elbow Chocolatier plant in Kansas City, to find potential new outlets for these pecans. And so she met with Christopher Elbow and his team and, and gave them a sample of these pecans. And they were very interested in having them for their specialty chocolates, this one particular variety. And so she made the connection. They started giving them a try. And now Christopher Elbow's Chocolates is a strong client of North Missouri pecan growers. So. Um, that's a really cool value chain connection. You know, the Elbow organization really values local. They're an internationally known chocolate company. And then this Nevada organization, you know, they're just, they're farmers that work together. They have a processing plant down there to process pecans. And um, now it's a great new client and, you know, it's a great partnership. So <laughs> a value chain is like a supply chain from the growing and the equipment and the processing and the retailing. All that is broken. That's why we have a broken food systems for local and regional food. And so we need to connect those entrepreneurs and, org and resources in that chain that are not connected right now. So in the bigger system, you know, you sell to a distributor and, and they've got all those connections. But we're trying to build new channels, new paths to market. It's really about new, new pathways. And in taking those steps, we have to connect people within that pathway. So the chocolatier buying from the pecans, that's part of building this connection uh, from the supplier to that product. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a messy thing, but it's a, a really important uh, way for, to get businesses to work together. It's kind of a business-to-business -business connection. We've also worked with an Amish grower that needed some equipment to process these grains. We were able to find him equipment somewhere. So we're working as a team to try to address the needs of those entrepreneurs. That's I not think, a, yeah, I think also in the in the food value chain, finding the right partners, like it's not just like, oh, you you deliver deliver things in a refrigerated truck, you know, let's let's work with you. Well, that might not work out because they you're not holding the same kind of values within the food system. It's sort of like you got to find the right partners who really might have to go a little bit over and above to work with each other, but because they believe in creating a strong local food system, they will. So is that where the word value comes in? Yeah, it's, it is. It is where the word value comes in because you're not just creating a transaction, an economic transaction. You're creating a value transaction, which is economic at its base, but is also based on social and sometimes environmental, right? Like if that 
whatever part of the supply chain has a strong value on environmental sustainability, they and they don't know where to find you know the right connection. We can help in that food value chain to make a good connection where you know both parties are interested because they share a same value. For example, our farm to school specialist she found a farmer in in Warsaw, which is a small community, to supply the local school. And because he was very interested, and in, well, he also wanted a new market, but he was also really excited about serving the schools. And so went over and above probably what he would have done for another market to find other farmers to work with and actually supply that school. So it's about finding the good connections that really result in in better than expected results because the people are committed from a value perspective, not just a transactional perspective. But they, it also serves their self-interest, and that's really key. It's not yeah. like, let's just all do good things together. I have a business. I need to grow it. I have a self-interest in this. But I am in this business. This business is serving a market that cares about this. The schools want this local food. There is no distribution available. I have to find people to work with. And our program is about trying to convene and connect those people to make that easier all up and down the line. And so the example she gave of the farmer wanting to supply local schools, going out of his way to find some other farms in this rural area where there are no distributors for that is part of that. And then we, we are supporting them in making that school connection. So it's really like a, a teamwork thing. How do we build this together to address what our businesses need and the market wants? Okay, that's, yeah, it also feels like it addressed something that you just touched on, but, and we can't probably go into it, but that in one of the problems is that people don't know where their food comes from, but I could also imagine from a producer perspective, from a farming perspective, you want to know where your food's going. And so I can imagine like that farmer that was excited about their food going to the schools, that's kind of lifting up their sense of purpose of what they're doing. I'm feeding the kids in my community. like, And then that's addressing the mental health issues that can come up for farmers with all of the different challenges that they're facing and just feeling like I'm a part of something and I'm a part of my community. And I, that just, I don't know, I just find that touching. And um, we have a food value chain coordinator because, you know, there's these spots of people doing that, but can we have a broader regional view and keep everybody connected and supported. So food value chain coordinators make connections. We also try to find resources. We might learn that they need a piece of equipment to make that happen, right? We're on the job of, of helping them move that forward and connecting with the business center and resources. So it's again, not just like the food hub doesn't leave it on the farm to contact every restaurant. Our program is about, okay, we're making connections, we're supporting that, and we're gonna co- help coordinate that and support you and fill those gaps because it really requires kind of a broader arms around it also. And that's why we have lots of different partners and like we really will, like, we try to know what's going on all the time so we're in everybody's business. But uh, one of the things that we've helped do uh, with the Missouri Department of Ag, they uh, had some money to give to schools for a reimbursement for buying local food. This is different from the local food for schools program I was talking about earlier. This is just a thousand dollar reimbursement and they put it out there and they didn't really get a lot of response, but we helped saying, okay, we have schools that we work with. 
we're going to work with those individual schools and help them fill out the application and, you know, get them that reimbursement. And so I think that sometimes it just takes this connector. Yep. And it's not a lot of money, but it was there and it was being underutilized. Don't want to leave it on the table. (laughs) So we're trying to like, and just like, you know, sort of inserting ourselves into some of these conversations because we see where the connections can happen. And hopefully we can make some inroads into like, creating a more uh, communication and collaboration and that's our goal and there really is a lot of interest but you know i'm just trying to reduce the frustration that people have we had a great farm to fork summit our fifth one this year and a lot of producers and and buyers coming there because they really want to to feed people well produce great things build their local economies and so it's really about building those relationships to make that happen. Even with banks, you know, and rural businesses, the credit score is not very much of a relationship with your borrower, it's just a number. Um, So how we're trying to help develop that relationship with a business so that they can meet those numbers down the road, right? We're in kind of a transactional economy, we're trying to build that relationship part of it so that we have more more small businesses in our, our rural communities addressing those those gaps. More relational, less transactional. That sounds like a worthy goal to move towards. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming yeah. to uh, little town Bolivar, Missouri. <laughs> yeah, West Central Missouri. Here we are between Springfield and Kansas City, and there's a lot lot going on and connecting with Midwest people all over. So it's great to connect with all of you in Indiana. Great. Thank you. That was Patty Cantrell of New Growth Community Development Corporation, organized by West Central Missouri Community Action Agency. We also spoke with Katie Nixon. She is a farmer, and she's the Food Systems Director with New Growth and West Central Missouri Community Action. A quick update. Since we spoke in April of 2023, they have announced that the USDA has awarded $25 million for a new five-state Heartland Regional Foods Business Center. New Growth will co-lead the center. And it looks like Indiana will be included in the Great Lakes Regional Foods Business Center. Hopefully we can learn more about that in a future episode. You can find links to Patty and Katie's work and learn more about the Regional Foods Business Center program on our website, eartheats.org. The Earth Eats team includes Violet Barron, Ayabon Binder, Alexis Carvajal, Alex Chambers, Mark Chilla, Toby Foster, Daniela Richardson, Samantha Schemenauer, Peyton Whaley, and Harvest Public Media. Special thanks this week to Patty Cantrell, Katie Nixon, and to Justine Lines for making the connection. Earth Eats is produced and edited by me, Kate Young. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Additional music on the show comes to us from Universal Production Music. Our executive producer is Eric Bolstridge. Thank you.